Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Jeff. Leaks his tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has got three three. 22 to Raja. Saw the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. Welcome to Cannell and Bell. Raja's out today, so we got our boy Brady filling in for him. How's it going, man? We doing all right? Good, yeah. I'm coming off the bench. I mean, literally. Yeah, I'm coming off are. the bench. I'm filling in for Raja today. I think you tomorrow. So. Now, how are you doing with your Christmas stuff? Are you oh. all shopped? Are you got all your shopping locked down? Are you no. scrambling this weekend? I'm scrambling. I'm a last minute shopper. I hate to admit it. It always works out that way every single year. Uh, I just hope I, I don't have to deal with too much of the rush because if it does, right. I'll start throwing some forearms and stiff arming <laughs> people out of the way. The worst part isn't actually once you get into the mall, it's parking. Like parking is when I'm ready to throw down for people. And there's nothing worse than somebody who just waits in a row for a spot to open up and then it clogs the whole thing. Like if you're just, I'm I'm not a fan of when people go just drive and you ultimately you'll find a spot, but don't sit there and just take up space. I don't have that problem. You don't. I just Uber and Lyft. That's right. That's right. You have your show surf. Uh, your chauffeur is Uber and Lyft uh, nowadays. That's right. All right, we got a big show uh, coming up for you. We have National Signing Day. We're going to react to that. I have a feeling Brady has a better Signing Day story than Raja did, where Raja just you know signed and faxed it in and didn't have any fanfare. I want to hear your story on that. Okay. Um, Nathan Peterman has a job. We'll break that down. How does that happen? in today's NFL. Uh, we're going to break down uh, Cam Newton and uh, Aaron Rodgers. But first, there is some breaking news out of the NFL as Josh Gordon has released a statement. Um, and it's it's concerning news. And it's it's somewhat surprising, I guess. And when you look at his track record and his history of problems, maybe it shouldn't be um, as big of a surprise. But he is stepping away from the game. He's saying, uh, his quote is, I take my mental health very seriously at this point to ensure I remain able to perform at the highest level. I've recently felt like I have... Could have a better grasp of things mentally. With that said, I will be stepping away from the football field for a bit, focus on my mental health. I'd like to thank the Brady, uh, the Bel- Belichick craft, as well as countless others within the Patriots organization. I want to thank the fans for their support as I continue to on the path to get back to 100%. So that's the first bit of breaking news. Then, so everybody comes out and you're like, all right, well, you know, obviously you want him to take care of his mental health, take care of his issues. He's been very open and honest about it. Miss training camp with the Browns, and yep. then he gets this move and takes some time there. Tom Pelissaro uh, has tweeted out that Josh Gordon is facing another indefinite suspension for violating terms of his reinstatement under the substance abuse policy. Per a source, he announced today he's stepping away to address his mental health. Look, bottom line, whatever the reason is, whether it's mental health, it's serious. Whether it's another substance abuse issue, it's serious. And it really makes me concerned more about, you know, we'll talk about the Patriots, what impact it has on the field for them. But my bigger concern is for Josh Gordon. Like he has a sickness, whether it's a mental health issue or whether it is substance abuse issue. When you can't stop doing whatever you're doing or you can't get healthy that, and you, and it's in millions of dollars are at stake. Yeah. And there's actual incentives to do that. And teams have put in, uh, parameters in place to help you. Then it's really concerning. And I, that's my biggest thing with Josh Gordon is like, man, this guy has a serious problem he has to take care of. Yeah. So you're saying a problem. <clears throat> so I always think, all right, what's the solution? Yeah. Right. And, and I'm not saying I have all the answers. I've never had to deal with either of these issues, mental health or substance abuse. Um, so I've been fortunate and, and really have come from a family that hasn't had anyone have to deal with this. Um, but I, I do think this, I, I think it, you always, we see players have to leave from their team, from their support system, uh, and take time away. I just, I don't know how that stops the cycle. Uh, your best support system is always the people who believe in you and probably the organization that knew you had these issues and wanted to invest in you the money, the time, the hours, everything else. 
And, and so I always wonder how it really helps when, if you're battling these issues and you're not helping someone understand how to battle these issues, why still doing the things that you're going to be asked to do or you want to do. And that's eventually playing professional football, hopefully for them in the future. So that's, that's one of the issues with it is we always see players who are dealing with stuff say, I need to take time away from it. Like I get that. It's, it's high stress. There's obviously a lot of anxiety that comes along with playing a professional sport for money. Uh, but at the same time, you don't think those things are to come right back once you get back into the fold, once you start playing again? It all rushes right back to you. And then yeah. you end up going to those vices or you go to that bad, that bad space. And that's where you got to start looking at, in particular, mental health, you know, how we go about trying to handle this and, and understanding that we've got to figure out a better solution for players who are dealing with this. And, and look, maybe the ultimate solution is they're not going to be able to play. Because it's just too much stress. It's too much anxiety. Maybe that's the point we're getting to with Josh Gordon. But I would like to see that, you know, whether it's the NFL, the NFLPA, some of these teams, I would like to see them find a way of helping these players understand that if they want to come back to play, those things are still going to be there. They've got to figure out another way of dealing with it or coping with a lot of the emotions and things that come along with it that takes them back to this bad spot. Teams get a lot of criticism sometimes for giving guys second opportunities, third opportunities, like the Patriots. I'm sure people looked at them and said, oh, how are they going to sign this guy? I'm I'm a believer in second chances, believing in comeback stories. I'll, I also believe your best chance for success is within the structure of an NFL organization. Yep. They are going to – like when you wake up and you know you have to be there at 8 and you know you have practice at 2 and you know you're going to have weights after and then you're going to – you know you know your whole day is structured minute by minute. Yeah. And they'll even have, they'll have counseling sessions set up for you at six o'clock that night. Certain nutrition, they'll, right? Yes, all that stuff. All of it is in place. What worries me is when a guy steps away and now he's going to be on his own. He's going to feel all alone. And that's like, it's a sad, scary place that he's going to be in right now. And it just has me concerned for him. Looking at it from a, by the way, as far as second chances though, like, this is a different circumstance for me. Like, I'm a believer in second chances. Well, this is like certain things. fourth or fifth or sixth chance. I mean, right. I mean, this is like a cat at this right. point, right? Yeah. How many lives do you have? But, um, it's, it's different in this circumstance. We're not talking about him, him hitting a woman. We're not talking about him killing someone or something else. You know, that's, that's a different story. I am a believer in second chances, but at some point too, you have to wonder if the NFL or the NFL PA kind of says, at what point do we just feel like this isn't a good combination? Right. And, and how do we potentially avoid some catastrophic event that could take place if this continues and if this gets worse. I mean, they have to contemplate that at some point before, if he was to be indefinitely suspended, them ever reinstating him if he gets another shot. Yeah, for sure. Uh, from a football perspective, the Patriots, when they signed Josh Gordon, my thought was this guy's physically talented enough to be Randy Moss and to have that type of year that Randy had when he was with Tom Brady, when they, you know, when Tom Brady had 50 touchdown passes. I'm like, this could be that type of weapon. Clearly it wasn't working out that way. But I do think it's a significant blow to a roster on the offensive side of the ball that already Gronk is looking older. You know, they, there's nobody else on this team that really scares you as an offensive threat. Edelman's good, but he's good, you know, in unique spots in his slot where, you know, he likes to run those little juke routes and he gets open and they hit him. But I think this is a really big blow to the Patriots at a time when they desperately need more on the offensive side of the ball. You gotta have difference makers. Yeah. I mean, say what you want about, you know, who they have at certain spots, but Rob Gronkowski has been one of the best tight ends ever. It's because of his size, but it's also because he's a difference maker. I mean, they can draw a play up and Josh McDaniels is one of the best in the NFL doing it, but you can also have as tight a coverage on Gronk as you want. He'll still go up and make a play for Tom Brady or for the Patriots. So you've got to have those guys. You got to think playmakers. 
not plays in the NFL. And that's what Josh Gordon is when he's healthy and when he's, you know, up, up to the mental capacity to be able to handle all of that. And, you know, as you and I talked about earlier, he did add a different dimension to this offense because if you look at the way this offense is constructed, they've got their slot, they've got their tight end when Gronk is healthy, and they've got their running backs who they tend to split out or obviously in the running game. But it's really you could draw a triangle in the field. And that's where they where they throw the football. That's where a lot of the targets come, not so much to the outside. And this now allows a defense to really focus on Edelman more, Gronk more, and, and in particular the running game, stack the box, or match up with one of those running backs. So it takes away that dynamic threat on the outside, and now it's just this triangle that basically a defense has to worry about. And that becomes concerning for a 41-year-old Tom Brady. I picked this team to go to the Super Bowl. I would back away from that right now. Do you think this team even gets to the AFC Championship game? I think it depends on their seeding and whether or not they have to play on the road a couple times potentially in this this playoffs. Um, whether or not they play in the wild card round, I think that could play an impact too. I, I just I think the team needs to get healthy. Gronk doesn't look healthy. He could use the additional rest. Tom Brady's forty one. He could use the additional rest. I mean, the entire team could, and a couple weeks to prepare. I mean, that, that's the other thing I think we sometimes overlook is we think about it's all about rest and recuperation. What about Bill Belichick, one of the greatest minds ever in the NFL, along with his staff? And giving them the additional two weeks to prepare for, you know, one of two opponents, but they've got the advanced study so they can have the edge on their opponent in that respect too. So, um, that to me makes a huge difference in this whole picture. So they still have a couple games left. Obviously, Tom Brady's going to be a part of that, but some teams now that they've been bounced from the playoff picture are deciding what to do with their franchise quarterbacks. The Panthers are going to shut down Cam Newton. This comes as zero surprise to probably anybody. If you watched him the other night when he was playing, it was very clear there was something significant that's going on with his shoulder. He talked about it after the game. Says, I, I can't even think the doctors don't even know what it is, but it's been bothering me. He's tried everything. They're going to shut him down. I think they did wait too long. I think if they knew there was an issue there, maybe when you started to lose a couple games that you should have said, all right, and you know, I don't see him every day in practice, but clearly... He wasn't the same guy. If they could, and I wonder, maybe it's one of those things where the medical staff said, "Hey, you can't hurt any worse. It's just a pain management thing, and you can go out there and try to do it." And Cam, give him credit for trying to do that. But at some point, did they ever investigate maybe taking him off the field for a couple games and saying, "All right, let's get him healthy down the stretch," as opposed to a game that they needed at home that they couldn't get done? Uh, maybe I, I think as you look take a look at the stats. I mean, one thing you'll look at is just how many throws behind the line of scrimmage, how many throws within ten yards. And as much as we want to look at it and say, well, maybe this is caused by the shoulder injury, this has kind of been the story of their season. That's why his completion percentage is the highest of his career. Exactly. And I think when you looked at the graphic before that and the trends, the past six games versus his first eight, the difference is being he's not running the football as much. I think that probably has more to do with the shoulder. Um, his, you know, he's not getting as much help from the defense. I, thought, I think their defense went through a little bit of a lull. Now, last week versus the Saints, they were phenomenal. They even helped put some points on the board. Um, but but they went through a rough spot there too during this whole what six game skid that they're on. So uh, he doesn't look healthy to me. I think it's impacting his mechanics. That's something already that you don't want to mess with at this point. And if they're out of the playoff hunt, which they essentially are, I think statistically they still have a shot. But at this point, they pretty much are. Why not? But there's also a head coach in this conversation that may be on the hot seat. You've yeah. got new ownership there in Carolina. I mean, would it bother you if you're Ron Rivera where you're now deciding to shut down Cam Newton? You lose the last two games, and all of a sudden you're a 6-10 football team, and the guy's saying, well, you guys didn't win enough games. Like, that would bother me. I bet it does bother him, and I bet it's a conversation that happens between him and the front office, too, because at some point you've got to step in and say, we've got to worry about the health of our franchise, which is Cam Newton, no matter what the case comes. And you might say, hey, 
they might have to step in. Yeah. And then that's when those, those were those really, you know, upper level conversations where you get the medical staff involved too and say, Hey, there is, and especially when Cam Newton comes out to everybody and says, I don't know what's going on. They can't tell me an answer. That's when all of a sudden I'm bringing the trainers, the doctors in, if you're bringing Ron Rivera in, having a massive huddle and saying, all right, what is the problem? We can't have our quarterback out there saying to the media that he doesn't know what's going on because it's a really bad look. Well, if you're Dave Tepper, this is your first year as a new owner. Yeah. So, you know, you, you're, you're taking over, and I don't think you want to, one, have that message portrayed to the masses like, right. we don't know what's going exactly. on. But he also is trying to figure out what kind of owner is he? Is he one that's more hands-on? Is he going to be hands-off? Is he going to essentially let the people who are in place do their job? And if he feels like they're not doing what they should be, and doesn't see a fit. He wants to go with someone else. I mean, there's a lot of different discussions. And as much as we're looking at, you know, Ron Rivera is, you know, he's not his head coach. He was already there when he inherited the team, if you will, or, or I should say, in a you know, buying a team. Um, but is 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 he the guy you want leading your team? But you're also answering asking the same question about Cam Newton because both of them were there before him. So those are all sorts of decisions that you, you've got to be able to make. If you're a new owner and kind of figuring out in your infancy of owning a football team. And that'll be the interesting thing. I would imagine they already had the conversation about Cam Newton, his shoulder, and maybe Ron Rivera feels like it's easier to do this or to talk to Cam about doing it because he's got the reassurance that he's going to be the head coach in 2019. Ron Rivera said there is a chance that he could play the last uh, season finale if things are crazy and they need a playoff spot potentially. I think it's a long shot, clearly. But he did leave open the, uh, uh, the door for Cam Newton to possibly play in that last game. I'd be shocked if he does. His quote was, he'll be on the 53-man all the way through. Crazy enough, things can happen, and we'll see from there. I would say he doesn't play. Speaking of David Tepper, when you play uh, $2.2 billion in cash, I'm going to say you're probably pretty hands-on. Cash. Yeah, cash. Yeah, <laughs> you don't have to go out uh, any finance. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes like, I think when you have that much money, right, you, you end up buying some things that maybe you're just, it's more of like a toy. Maybe the Carolina <laughs> Panthers are more of a toy. Right. You just let it work for itself. Yeah, exactly. um, all right, so Aaron Rodgers is another quarterback, similar situation, except they are bounced from the playoffs. And... He has decided that he wants to play. And I actually have a tremendous amount of uh, Aaron, uh, respect for Aaron Rodgers, where it's been a bumpy ride for him this year, whether it's it started with the injury, which I think has plagued him, and I think it's significantly have impacted his play because he is the type of quarterback that it improvises. And that's one of his specialties is when he buys time and gets outside of the pocket, he can hurt you so much. His completion percentage is a little bit down, but also he's taking a hit from the PR standpoint. You've had coaches who got fired calling him out. You had former players calling him out. His former teammates calling him out. And I, I don't know if that came into play here on why he decided to play, but I thought his sound when he said he was going to play was about as good as you would want to be portrayed to the media when he said, hey, it's about leadership. If I want to be listened to and followed and looked up to, how could I stand there and say these games that don't matter for playoffs? I'm just going to cash it in. I think he did the exact thing I would want my franchise quarterback to do. Yeah, and, and I, but I think he's also cognizant of the fact that you know they've basically turned over every single piece of this organization, at least in regards to everything else out around them. The general manager Brian Gutenkunstens took over for Ted Thompson. Mike Pettin is now the defensive coordinator. They moved on from Don Capers. They bring back Joe Philbin. He's the interim head coach now after firing Mike McCarthy. I mean, there's been a lot of change there. There's only been one constant, and so I think when you see the lack of success. You know, it's only now pointing to one person that's been the common denominator, and he's probably aware of that. And I think he knows he hasn't played his best football this year. And not that the team has around him, but the bottom line is when you're a Green Bay Packer quarterback and he saw it before him, you want to be beloved. And that's a fan base that loved Brett Favre. And I think towards the end, when he kind of was indecisive about 
whether or not he was going to come back and play what the deal was and whether he was going to retire, it kind of wore on some people. And I think Aaron Rodgers watched that and thought, like, I don't ever want to leave this fan base with them being upset with me. So it goes a long way to finish out the season the last two games. And on top of that, you signed a huge deal. Right. You're getting paid to play. You're, if you're healthy enough to go, you got to go. And I think that speaks to your legacy and what you want to portray. Hey, Brady, let me, let me ask you a question real quick. A lot of the talk right now is about Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball away too much and that's what's protecting his his touchdown to interception ratio do you see that do you see he's throwing the ball too much I don't, uh, out of bounds I don't see him throwing it away too much I actually think there's times too when I see him take sacks where he's holding on to the football too much I've actually seen it kind of both ways um, there's definitely times when he's going to give up on a play maybe early than he needs to but there's also times where I think he's held on to the football and taken an unnecessary sack if you were this is all well and good like me and you were saying yeah it's great that he plays you just paid him the $134 million contract extension. He's 35. His last two seasons, he's faced significant injuries. Throughout his career, he's had some significant injuries. If you're the front office, if you're the management, would you step in and say, hey, hey whoa, whoa, this is great that he wants to play, but why would we risk losing him? Because he could easily go out there and that knee could get worse. He could do a shoulder again. Yeah. Would you step in and say, let's shut him down? I would, I would contemplate it. I'm not sure how much control anyone has in saying that to him. Um, but especially when you had, you know, Brian Belag was in the injury report earlier this year, you know, one of their tackles, Jason Spriggs as well. They were both questionable at one point this week. I, I haven't had a chance to look at it since then, but if those guys are playing banged up, they're not able to protect them as well. Yeah. You'd be a little bit concerned if you're playing these games at the end of the year, really for not much. I mean, if you, if you look at it, just right. more about pride, it's more about being competitive. And, and again, you've, you've paid them, but I would contemplate it. I just don't know what player is going to sit there and say, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and check out. I'm good. Right. And I, and I would never want to send that message because I think it sends a message to the other 52 guys in the roster. Hey, well, he's, and even though the quarterback is more important, he does make more money. It means more to the franchise. Like, and it's the worst because I've been on some bad teams. Those last yeah. couple weeks are so miserable. Oh, it's hard to get through. <laughs> it's, it's, and, and it's a toss up. Like when you're picking games, like we have to pick games yes. now. How hard is it? Cause <laughs> right. sometimes like as much as there's some guys who are checked out and moving on, then there's these young guys who are like, this is all the film I get. This is my only opportunity. Now right. I've got to showcase my abilities and they just ball out the last two weeks. And I said to Raja the other day, like the worst, like the biggest fear of anybody in a team in these last two games is that you get an injury where you're going to have to rehab for six months or even two months because you're thinking, hey, it's January in Green Bay. Like I'm getting ready to go to Mexico. <laughs> I'm ready to go hang out. Aruba. And all of a sudden you could be having a surgery and having rehab in Green Bay. Like that's your biggest nightmare. And I remember the feeling and the sigh of relief from everybody. The minute that clock hit zero, it was like, we made it. You know, it was like, you just made it out of there. So it was, uh, uh, that's, well, you know, that's what you hope for everybody too. Yeah. If I was Joe Philbin though, I would keep an eye on the way the game is unfolding. If it's a 14 point game either way and they look like it's not competitive in the second half, I would take Aaron Rodgers out and say, all right, well, he's played the first half. Let's work in some of the young guys. But it's not only the quarterback you're working in. It's younger guys across the roster. Right, and I think you want to get Deshaun Kaiser some yeah. some looks, too, on the offense. Like, that may pay dividends for you in the future. You brought up the injury history about Aaron Rodgers. Why not get him some more reps within this team, within this system, even though that may all change with a new head coach come next year? Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. 
right, welcome back, Ken Ellen Bell. So this year's draft class of quarterbacks that were just taken, uh, five of them in the first round, yep. was compared to the class of '84. It was compared, what was it, 2003 with Eli and Ben? Yeah, and it's three or Philip four. Rivers. Yeah, so that class is one of the all-time greats. I get a little uncomfortable when you do that just because there are five guys taking the first round because I think we're well, in the top ten. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, yeah, no, it was good. It was a big deal. But I do think we're in a place now where quarterbacks are overdrafted all the time because people are it, because the the new salary cap. You don't have to invest as much as you did before, and teams just I think they reach for quarterbacks a lot. But with all that being said, they've all gotten to play. I think they've all played pretty good. They've all been up and down. Uh, I think Baker Mayfield has clearly shined, shined or shown shined as the best. We'll go with that. <laughs> Shine is the best. <laughs> I, I, I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole <laughs> right, right now. <laughs> so he, I think he's looked the best. <laughs> and I, that's not, and I, you know, it's funny because I was big on Baker coming out, mm-hmm. uh, of Oklahoma and he was there and I was like, Hey, take him number one. Go ahead and do it. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, well, we haven't really seen a quarterback like this do it. But I was like trusting my instincts of he's laid down that much tape in college. He's succeeded against the best teams. It does translate. And it has. So I'm even a little bit surprised he's had as much success as he had. And there has been a big difference since Hugh Jackson has been fired and he's had Freddie Kitchens taken over as a play caller. Whether that's been that much of a difference or not, or he's just more comfortable, he has looked that much better. I think he's, I think he is separating himself to the rest of this class. When I look at it, I want to hear it. So are you with me on that? Are you with me that Baker has been the best of this class? Yes, and I think he should be the offensive rookie of the year. People are going to say, whoa, wait wait a second. Hold on a second. Yeah. Why? Browns are still in contention for the playoffs. Okay. His coach got fired. Yep. He's still persevering, battling through this, and has his team in a position where they're statistically not out yet. The Giants have been out for a while. So I don't think you could look at a player that's an offense, offensive player that's a rookie that's had a bigger impact on his team than Baker Mayfield this year. Saquon's been fantastic. I get it. But Baker Mayfield has been as advertised. He's brought optimism to that city. He's brought hope to that city. Statistically, I think he's been better than everyone else this year. I think based on his play, he's been better than the rest of the rookies. Uh, this is kind of what I expected, though. And for this reason, when I was breaking him down, I had the opportunity to call a number of his games. I said this then, and I'll say it now. He's one of the most accurate passers I've ever seen. Yep. And when I say that, I mean, I'm including like NFL level passers. I had a hard time watching his entire, uh, last season at Oklahoma, finding games where you could find more than maybe one or two passes that weren't catchable. When I say catchable, I mean, there's times when he can put a football in a spot where the wide receiver, tight end, whoever it may have been, Mark Andrews or, you know, Didi Westbrook over his time, it would be in a spot where either they caught it or no one else did. But it was like a very catchable ball still. And, and you know how hard it is sometimes when you're underdressed or have to move in the pocket to be able to make those sorts of passes. He's accurate. He manipulates the defense. He had kind of the, he had a lot coming into it. The only thing, the only downside was the offense you talked about, whether or not that would translate. And then his, his, his size. People are like, all right, is, is he tall enough? Is he going to be able to see? He's fine. Um, my only hesitation is you look at him in comparison with everyone else. Mm-hmm. He's, now he's, he's solid. And I think he's, he's also been the beneficiary of a really good team around him. Like none of these other quarterbacks have Jarvis Landry, who's, you know, caught over a hundred balls at least the last three seasons. He's like a, like he's a flying under the radar top five receiver. 
And like yeah. nobody even considers him that. And he should, and I'm saying even when he was in Miami. Well, and, and I thought he was and, getting incredible. And weapon. he mostly played inside and now they're putting him outside and they're letting him do some different things and you're seeing the impact that he's having. Antonio Callaway's been a stud and Joku's really developed. You know, since they've moved on at the running back position and really highlighted Nick Chubb, he's taken over and given him a lot of help. His offensive line may be the best of all these rookies as far as what they're dealing with because the rest is, is a crap show, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, um, a lot of these other quarterbacks are dealing with not very good offensive lines with the exception of, of part of Lamar Jackson. Um, so I expected him to, to play really, really well. Uh, and now granted that was with Todd Haley based on what he had done. Um, uh, but I knew they kind of had some of the pieces around. I thought there'd be some rookie moments and I think there has been. Mm-hmm. Um, but for the most part, he's played the best and he, in my opinion, should win rookie of the year. And, and we can rank the rest of these guys, but Do you my- think they fall in the order of which they were drafted? Cause I think it's pretty, and I think the thing that's interesting when you look at them, like the the concern, and this is actually a tribute to guys that cover the draft and that break down the film. I think you've kind of seen what you expected with them, because and, and Darnold, I think, has been a total. Va- That's why I was concerned about Darnold this year because he's on a bad team. There is no, he is working with nothing out there, yeah. but he's had times where he kind of throws a lot of interceptions, some bad ones. Where it's like, where was he throwing that one? You saw that at USC. Yeah. Um, Josh Allen concerned about his accuracy. He's got the lowest completion percentage. You know, like, but you've yeah, also seen his arm talent, his top tier arm talent, where it pops I've, off the film. I've called, I got, I got to call one of his games last week and kind of breaking it down. It's such a misnomer stack. Going to last week's game, they actually had two or three drops in that game. Mm-hmm. They're, the Buffalo wide receiver, since he came back as a starter over like the, the three game span, had the most drops in the league. They had 11 drops going into that. He had thrown the football away. I think I had counted on my breakdown at least six times. So you're taking away those completions, and that's where like we all of a sudden look at a box score, and sometimes I think we're all guilty of getting lazy by saying, "Well, it's just barely above fifty percent." Well, go back and watch some of the throws. Like he's got a ton of drops, he's got to throw balls away. Their offensive line has, has really struggled, in particular on the interior. And I mean, like, how about this for a stat? You know, there's only one other player besides Zay Jones to catch a red zone touchdown this year for the Bills. Really? You know who it was? Oh, Deion, Deion Dawkins, their left tackle. <laughs> Really? When they get in the red zone, it's Zay Jones where they're running the football in. And, and the other thing you didn't see there is obviously his rushing stats. He's right. incredible. That's one thing that concerns me for him because I think he's been relying too much on the rush. No. That's not sustainable. Well, he has been because he's had to. Right. It, it's times when he's getting literally flushed outside the pocket. It's not by design. It's right. Guys are pressuring him out. The protection's not there. And he's saying, this is what I got to do. So, and, and by the way, they're playing with a free agent rookie wide receiver in Robert Foster. who has been a tremendous story. Isaiah McKenzie as well. He's been in there. Another guy that got from Denver who, you know, again, they, they pick up off the street. I mean, he's not, he's not working with a ton right now for guys to throw to, but like I would put him probably a little bit ahead of Darnold because Darnold's turned it over too much for me. Right. And he hasn't impacted them as much in regards to running around. And I think he's had a little bit more help. And when you think about Robbie Anderson and Quincy Anunua and some of the other pieces he had this year when they, you know, were healthy and everyone's playing together, I, I think he's had an easier time with it than, than maybe Allen has. But the other two, Passing wise, I think are more towards. Yeah, the I think Josh Allen. I still feel the same way about him coming out of the draft. Like I think he's incredible raw potential, and I think he could translate. But I don't feel. Does any he have the better. most upside of everyone? Oh, for sure. Arm talent, natural ability. Now you see what he does as an athlete, like running around. By the way, the sure. team loves him. Like oh, they, 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 everyone gravitates towards him. All that. It, with, so, with Darnold, I don't. I don't. I think I thought Darnold was overrated coming out. And even when I watch him play, because after what was it, the Detroit game, when everybody was like, "Oh, yeah. this is going to be the Monday best football we've ever we've seen." Won. Yeah, this is incredible. I was like, "Well, hold on, it's one game. Like, let's let's slow down a little bit." I don't know about his arm strength, and you, I, like as far as just top tier NFL arm talent, I don't know if he's as good as we make him out to be. I think he's got enough of an arm to make all the throws. Yes, but he's never going to wow you, and, right. and and that's kind of what but I, I think felt. when he's talked about, 
people act like he's going to wow you, and he doesn't wow me. What wows me about him, and, and this has been consistent when you go back to his time at USC, the way he would move and then set his feet quickly to make a throw. Mm-hmm. And he hasn't had great protection with the Jets, and I think I've seen that from time to time. Like some of that playmaking ability to keep a play alive or to make something more happen, I think he's got maybe some of the best feet, him and Mayfield, at being able to move than to set the throw and launch. Yeah. Like those two guys, and I think it's paid off dividends for him. The, the issue is, like they've been behind in games, so he's had to take chances. He had to take yeah. shots. Like no different than the completion percentage. When you look at the interceptions, like all these guys are pretty much on bad teams. Right. They're down fourteen in the fourth quarter, yeah. and they're having to try to throw and, in the end. And zone. the only guy who's not is Lamar Jackson. And and when I say the bad teams, I mean the Browns. I think are, are like the second best to what everyone else is working with. Yes. And then, but Baltimore's by far and away up to the top. It's the number one defense, yes. one of the top. They've got a rushing attack. He's got good protection. So he's not asked to do as much. He's not asked to throw the ball in, into, you know, um, any sort of inter, you know, any sort of intersection or anything like that with a bunch of players. So I, I think we're seeing these guys perform about how we thought maybe they would, but it has a lot more to do with their situation and circumstances. Hey, even, even when we talk about all these quarterbacks, we've hit on everybody, Lamar Jackson, Josh Allen, Sam Darnold. It always seems like the forgotten guy is Josh Rosen. Like, what is going on with him? He has a lot of weapons around him, but you never hear he anything. He has no weapons around him. Well, Who does Larry he have? Fitzgerald's Christian control. Kirk's hurt. Larry Fitzgerald's then his, his entire offensive line is a rookie from a center to left tackle. The right guard, right tackle got there literally to the team like four weeks ago. And now Joe Barksdale's on the injury report at right tackle who got there like three weeks ago. So I'm not sure where you're getting that. He has zero help. That's why David well, Johnson. No, but I think, well, I think year. what he's saying though is nobody's talked about him this year. I think it's because he plays in a bad market and the team has been awful. Like yeah. the only way you're really talking about the Arizona Cardinals are if they're in the top of their division and they're threatening the playoffs. And because they're not, like you don't see them on TV that much as far as a national stage. You don't, they just, they're not relevant right now. So people have kind of put Josh, uh, Allen, or Rosen on the back burner. I don't, I, think I, I don't, stating the obvious. Well, I don't know what they were, were going to expect to. I mean, you right. had a new first year head coach in Steve Wilkes who is, is first time ever being a head coach. I mean, he wasn't even a defensive coordinator for that long. So he's, was still trying to kind of figure out his way. Um, they end up firing Mike McCoy, you know, what six games, whatever it was into the season. So now you've got Byron Leftwich taking over, who's, you know, former player. I, I know he knows the position. He knows his offense, but. He's got to deal with calling an offense that's not something he installed. I mean, a lot of this stuff he could try to slowly implement, but when you got rookies and you got guys coming in off off the street that you've never seen before, you know how hard it is to try to install a play and get those guys to be able to run anything new that wasn't there in training camp. And, and half these guys weren't even there in training camp anyway. So it, it's just I think it's in part the market. First year head coach, a lot of other working parts that are working against him. He he may have entered into the worst situation that didn't look that bad when he got drafted, but. After Sam Bradford struggled and with everything else that's changed there, it's become a really bad scenario. And I think for Rosen has become the hardest to evaluate because of all that's going yeah. on. And I think he probably has the most unknown goal. Is Wilkes one and done? Do you guys think Wilkes is one and done? I don't think he should be. I don't think any head coach should be, in my opinion. I don't think he should be, but you're hearing some rumors and rumblings that he might be. And it's, it's like if you were going to do that, how dumb is it that you take a quarterback and decide to do that to him after one year? And you've already well, done it with a quarterback. You've already I done mean, it. Like it's hard, it's it's impossible to start over again. You're starting from scratch all over again. Going back over the conversation about David Tepper and like two billion dollars, like you know, look, obviously either you inherited a bunch of wealth or you're smart enough to make it. But if you're then dumb enough to then go back a year later and be like, yeah, I made a bad decision, and I guess maybe you've got that much money you can throw it away, but th- that's what it comes down to in my mind. Like, why would you make the hire in the first place if you're gonna, a year from now, already decide that, yeah, I'm giving up on this. I don't, I don't agree with his vision. I don't see it going in the right direction. A lot of stuff can happen over the course of a season. Sometimes, like I was here, I covered the Dolphins when they had Cam Cameron. Sometimes you know. 
Like sometimes it's like, oh, that was that bad, and you just rip the bandaid off and you say that was a bad mistake and you start over. I don't know. Yeah, if no, that's but the you should have made that. You should have made that case with Steve Wilkes beforehand, knowing like, yeah, you know, my reservations are. It's a first time head coach. This could go bad quickly, and if I can't deal with that and give him two or three years to build this this roster where it needs to be, right? Then again, it's still you got to look in the mirror at some point if you're an owner and you made that hire. That was the year you were on the draft board and they drafted Ted Ginn and everybody yeah. was bummed. That was that was uh that was a pivotal moment in Dolphins franchise history they right there. One in fifteen. Yeah, they drafted him and his family. John Embry, another another great young man from Destrehan, Louisiana. Hold on a second. Hey guy, hey, I'm having a press conference. Okay, thank you. We wanted to get bigger. I'll stop. Hey! <laughs> stop the ball! Stop the drill! I'm having a press conference. Thank you. The surprising part about this is that it's the took line of scrimmage went all the way times. to Michigan. He's that's Coach O. Coach O is one of the most intimidating figures you'll ever meet with on yeah. a football field, whether you're in broadcasting or whether you're playing for him. I can't believe the message didn't ring true that first time he went over there. I have so many questions. I mean, for starters, <laughs> I he's the head coach. Yep. Uh, he had to have known there was going to be a press conference. I don't know why they decided to have it there if he <laughs> knew there practice was practice is going on. Right. Um, or was it a bunch of like frat boys over there like practicing for intramurals or like the managers? I, did, <laughs> did that many people have padded practice <laughs> intramural? I mean, I, were they padded? Questions. I didn't see them. Yeah. Here's what's astonishing though. Yeah. Is they were what fourth in the recruiting rankings? Yes. Like think about it, like he's dealing with that. You think Nick Saban ever has to deal with that? He oh, no. never deals with that Alabama. Like when no. he walks on stage at a press conference, Everyone has stopped what they're doing. They get out of the room, and the people who are there need to be there. Everyone else is just – they're out. They're not part of it. He's thinking being in a good mood, too, with that fourth class yeah. overall. Um, so the rankings have been set after the early, uh, early signing day came to a conclusion. No surprise. Bama comes in at one. Georgia at two. Texas A&M three. LSU at four. Four SEC schools come in first. But I think Oregon at five is a shock, and I think it's a great thing for the Pac-12, who desperately needs some team to rise to the top. Oklahoma, Clemson, Michigan, Texas, Penn State. My thing is, when you look at the recruiting rankings, and this has been a trend now for, I don't know, maybe forever, is that the rich get richer. Like, the more success you have, it makes it so much easier to get guys to come to your program. It almost like you self, it just, you don't even have to sell. There's no pitch. It's just, hey, you come to our school and we're going to win championships. Some other notables that are in the list here is U.S. You get Notre Dame on there? What's up with this? I know, right? But, well, that maybe they're not as good as we thought they were. They're, they're <laughs> struggling a little bit. I don't know what – well, Coco, look up the uh, Notre Dame ranks for us because I'd be curious to know where they came in there. Um, North Carolina, Mac Brown, who I raved about as a recruiter and said this is a good hire for Chapel Hill. All he does and steals a quarterback from Florida State um, – that was supposed to go to Tallahassee. Comes and steals him away, takes him to Chapel Hill, so good for him. Miami being 38th, I think it should be concerning for Hurricanes fans. And it's fourth best in the ACC, which I think is more concerning. Because it's no shame in being behind Florida State or Clemson. But when you're behind NC State and Virginia Tech, then it becomes a little bit alarming. Uh, Notre Dame's 13. Notre Dame is 13. Notre Dame is 13. So they're representing what else fine. When I see, when I look at the SEC, because the SEC is out there pumping it up. They love to put out the memos. Hey, we have all these classes yeah. in the top 25. Yes, you do, because they spend more than anybody else. When yeah. I say that, it is an arms race. When yeah. you look at it, if you go to any of their, any of their facilities – it's not really even close. The Big Ten is getting, and it's a lot of it's because the network money, the SEC network and Big Ten money, Big Ten network money come in. Their facilities are nicer than most pro facilities. Probably They're, almost all. Probably almost all of them. You're getting 
uh, the stipends are going to be more than most, um, which, you know, nobody talks about because everybody's like, we should pay the players. They are getting paid in the form of cash stipends and the SEC. And, is it, and it's to pay a lot more. more than people realize. Yes. It, it's, it's competitive now. These guys can take care of themselves and they don't need to have a job because, you know, this is compensating them for that. But yeah, go ahead. So when you look at like, there is a reason why the SEC has these classes in the top. Well, there's another reason too. They're recruiting their backyard. Yes. There's a ton of talent in the southeast, and and they don't have to go very far in order to recruit that talent. In particular, Georgia, for example. I mean, they're at number two. They had more five stars than everyone else. If you recruit the state of Georgia and you don't allow some of those players out, you're golden. You're good. Like You don't really need to recruit too many other places. Uh, And beyond the talent standpoint, it means more to those guys. You don't think those kids grew up as Bulldog fans, or if you're in the state of Alabama, you didn't grow up rooting for the Crimson Tide? Right. So you're getting twofold. Not only is it more meaningful to them, and that player's coming in there a little bit more excited, regardless of whatever his ranking is, but you don't have to go very far. So you have more resources that you don't have to spend on going all the way out to California if you don't want to. You got them right there in your backyard. And it's easier if, like, when I went on my visits, I went to the three Florida schools, Florida State, Florida, Miami. I went to Michigan, which was kind of like, and I, they were my number two. So how much of a culture shock was that for you? Oh, it was, it was a total shock. And then I went to Washington. The only reason I went to Seattle is because I wanted a West Coast trip and they just won the national championship. So like, sure, I'll go. But literally, I said, that place is so pretty, by the way. It's gorgeous. It was unbelievable. Damon Heward was my host. And so it was a little bit like awkward, you know, cause yeah. he was there and he was young and he was a freshman or a sophomore and he was like, hey, who was this kid? So he before, like we're, we literally picked me up at the airport. He's driving around. He's like, so would you really, can I told him, I was like, this was an eight hour flight. This was a long way. He's like, would you really come out here? I was like, no, I'm just here for fun. <laughs> and it was like, from then on, it was like, we had a blast. Like he didn't care. I was like, I'm not coming here. By the way, that's, Michigan, cha- that's, that's about- changed a lot, by the way. Oh, all yeah. these quarterback camps now, these kids see each other all often. I yeah, mean, they know each friendlier, other. But they've also competed against each other. Yeah. So they kind of know what they're getting into before that. But go For ahead. sure they do. Uh, you talk about culture shock. When I went to Michigan, I went there twice. One on an unofficial, went up in September. They played Florida State. Probably and, beautiful that time of year. Oh, it's like if it was a perfect fall day, yeah. like 68, sunny, great atmosphere. Everybody's hanging out. Florida State whooped them, which didn't, it didn't bother me. I still liked Ann Arbor. Like I didn't care who won the game. So yeah. like I'm not on the team. Then I went back for my official visit in January. It was like 12 degrees. It was snowing. And I was like, I love you guys, but I am not coming to this weather. <laughs> and then, you know, it's funny because looking back on it, I had never lived in a cold weather atmosphere. So I was really scared of it. I was like, this would be miserable. And I don't think it would have been that bad. Like now that I've lived in other, you know, Denver and New Jersey and Connecticut, I'm like, why was I so small minded? But that's when you think when you're 17 and 18 years old. Yeah. You know, then I went two weeks later to Florida State and I'm on Tala- in Tallahassee. We're riding around. There's girls jogging around campus at 70 degrees. I'm like, all right, this is where I want to go to school. The last thing, by the way, when you talk about spending and, and, you know, SEC in particular is able to spend more. You know, what's really impressive is when a coach comes and lands on your field in like a helicopter yeah. or you see them coming in private jets and you see all that. Like, I know it doesn't seem like a lot and you're, and you're spending a lot. And really it's more about the coach traveling because they have a tight schedule, especially if you're trying to play it's much more efficient for a bowl game yeah, or, or national championship. It's more efficient for travel purposes. But also, it, it has more of a lasting impression. Like, <laughs> this coach took a helicopter to come here and see me. The other guy's just driving some rental car for Davis. <laughs> right. Dropping in here. No disrespect to Avis, by the way. We'd love you as a sponsor, but still. <laughs> yes, it definitely does. Definitely has an uh, impact. All right, let's get it over to uh, Hannah, because she's used to flying private everywhere. Danny, how'd you know? That's how I got here so early. I figured. That's right. That's why you beat the traffic every day. Yes. All right. So I know you guys have probably seen this one by now, but we have to talk about it. Eleven's, or LeBron's 11-year-old son, Bryce, was feeling pretty down after a game, but LeBron pulled him aside and shared some words of wisdom to help pump his son up a little bit. Take a listen to this. 
You may listen. Come sit down real quick. You made three of the biggest plays of the game. You want me to tell you what they were? And you was you you, you get too you get too down on yourself for no reason. You made three of the biggest plays of the game. You got the offensive rebound, right? Down four, you got the offensive rebound, got the tip in, right? And then you had the outlet pass to Owen when he got the and one. And then you made the last swing scene to him for the game winner. You know what I'm saying? So like if you missing shots or making shots, don't worry about it, kid. Don't you did a you played a hell of a game. You ain't gotta worry about making shots or missing shots. Alright? Good job. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you, man. Alright, go with your team. Bye. Good job. LeBron posted that video with the caption after my guy Bryce and his team came back to win a game they had no business winning. I had a few words for him going forward. Hashtag pay it forward. Hashtag James Gang. So, Danny, you're a coach now. You're also coaching 11-year-olds. You yep. both are parents. <laughs> what was your reaction to this little pep talk here? I thought it was a great parental moment. I thought it was awesome. I think LeBron has given the exact message that I would want a coach to give my kid if they were playing for him. But there's a big but in this one because I think Coke is out there saying, look at this foot, this IQ he's got. Oh my gosh, he remembers these plays and he remembers all this. I would do the exact same thing. Like you're watching the game. It's unfolding right before you. Yeah, there's going to be pivotal moments in the game. I would say the exact same thing to my daughter. I'd be like, hey, the halftime, you know, 30 seconds left before halftime. You had a chance to take a shot. You pass on it. I would remember those moments. Like let's ease off on the, hey, he's a basketball genius because he remembered three plays from his kid's game. Yeah, if I've learned anything is becoming a new father, having a two-and-a-half-year-old and a five-month-old now, it's because, like, you want, you live through your children. I mean, now, like, my, my playing days are long, you know, long gone, and every single day is about my children. So everything they do, everything they see, as exciting as it is, like, I, like I'm witnessing it too. Like, I recall every single thing that happened this morning when we went down and looked at the Christmas tree and talked right. about how many days till Christmas. Like, I can vividly remember all those moments because you're taking all you can in right now. So it wasn't so much that. I was more curious, though, as, like, the sound and the production of this whole thing. Apparently, he is a making a documentary, right? Like, okay. I think that's – because I was – I'm the same with you. Like, why are you putting this oh, out yeah. there? There is a documentary People being People were upset about them being, like, spied on. I was like, yeah, it seemed no, like no, the sound was too good for oh, that. Oh, it's, it's definitely – there's quality video yeah, right yeah. there. I will say this. A lot of parents who were out there that coach, because I've seen this, and this is a bad um, sign of our society. <coughs> I see way too many parents chewing out their kids, yelling at them. Take a lesson and look at how the greatest basketball player of all time talks to his child through that game. It's all positive. It's yep. all teaching, and there's no raised voice. If you're a parent watching that – Watch that and try to emulate that attitude because yeah. I see way too many kids' lives ruined because their parents are trying to live vicariously through them and yell at them. It's ridiculous. Welcome back to Canal and Bell. You guys thought you were getting rid of me, but you haven't yet because I have to talk about Nathan Peterman. I actually want your guys' opinion on this whole ordeal. I really thought he was gone. <laughs> you thought he Forever. was going away. I said this nope. yesterday. I felt like, you know, when you go and put something on the corner of the street, it's like you're trash. And then you wait for other people to pick Man. up your trash, but somebody else comes and gets it first before the garbage guys get there. That's Man what happened to Nathan Peterman. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I get it. He didn't play well for your bills. Let, let's not disparage the guy. I mean, look, it's not like he's trying to go out there and play bad. And and unfortunately, it hasn't worked out from when he has. I think people are making a big deal about this because John Gruden, what he said back when he was an analyst right. about Nathan Peterman when he was coming out in the draft. And i got to be honest with you, I'm defending John Gruden on this one. Like, if you look at where Nathan Peterman was drafted, and he was a mid-round draft pick, yep. which Fifth that's round. probably where I would have put him, maybe a little higher than that, fourth or third, because 
He played in Joe Chaney's system. He was a pit. Mm-hmm. He improved each year when he was there. Matt Canada was his last year, but he played well. Two different systems, one being more in NFL style, and grew and got better from that. I mean, he was a good college player. I think if you were slating him and what he looked like, he could make all the throws. He's a smart kid. He's mature. Like, you probably would have slated him around that. You could never predict that he was going to struggle the way he has once he got into the NFL. It's He's 24 years old, so he's still young. You're taking a flyer on him. But here's what I cannot stand. A couple things. One, when you see the, oh, Colin Kaepernick still unsigned in the greater, oh. it's so dumb because they're going to pay him pennies. You know, it's going to be, he's we'll make a league minimum. Yeah, exactly. We'll make a league now, I don't think Colin Kaepernick would have signed if the Raiders would have said, yeah, we'll put you on a roster. He would have said no. So stop the lame narrative of saying that's the case. Yeah. Um, you said just a couple minutes ago, your days are long gone from the NFL. How old are you? Uh, 34. There's 34. So you're getting up there. This would have been, one of the signings that if I was a guy, not Colin Kaepernick, if I was anybody and I was like 27, 28, still trying to hang yeah, on, yeah. this would have driven Josh me Josh Johnson, nuts. right? Yes. This would have driven me nuts if Nathan Peterman got signed and I was still on the street looking at trying to get a job. Yeah. And look, because depend- there was, there was definitely a lot of guys that got signed. Yeah, of course. And then, like, of course. Cause I was out for a couple years and still thought I was going to get back in and then I didn't. And I was, and it would drive me nuts when I'd see guys get opportunities. Well, you know, even a guy like Chase Daniel, who is barely played like you're getting signed to be in a role where you know you could potentially go in and play but you really don't have any experience so why would someone compensate you a lot for that well it's because teams see different things as far as the intangibles of what they're looking for in a player he knows the system he knows the coach or the coach has been with him before so he likes the guy and he thinks he still has potential john gruden likes nathan peterman he thinks he has a lot of potential that's probably a lot to do with why he decided to sign him he wants to take a flyer on him and see if maybe he can get him to be the quarterback he thought he should be. Gruden wasn't the only one who liked him. Like there were a lot of guys that were raving about him come out. Sometimes like the guy, I'm sure Nathan Peterson's a nice guy. Like and he might be a good team. He might be a hard worker. Like there's a reason the Bills thought about starting him over Tyrod Taylor last season. He obviously looks good in practice. As I said to people before, the situation and circumstance can dictate a lot. And let's be honest, you know, when Sean McDermott made the decision to go to Tyrod Taylor, think about the position Nathan Peterman was put in when he threw like five picks in the first half. Yep. On the road versus the Chargers, who were playing really good at the time, you're a rookie quarterback, and even everyone else out around you doesn't believe you should be getting the start. He goes in and plays poorly. The bench from Tyra Taylor goes in. Now, he played later on in his rookie year, but still, like it's not that unfathomable to think that he's going to struggle in his rookie year on the road against that opponent. When you look at college football, I think it has a problem on its hands. I get that people take football anytime they can. I think there are way too many bowl games. And I'm seeing it personally where I don't care that there's football on. And I think that's a bad thing. Like I heard like the Boca Bowl was on the other night. I'm not, that's not good football. I disagree, dude. I love football. I don't care You're where it is. You're in on all the bowls. It's a great reward for these players. Oh, I agree. I'm not talking about from the players. I'm talking about from the health standpoint. Oh, of college yeah, football. dude. I'd love You're it. You're all for rewarding mediocrity. You want six football and six guys to go to a bowl. Four. I think it should be a minimum eight wins. If you get eight wins and it would cut the bowls down to about 22 bowls They're instead kids, of 35. Man. Give them something to look forward six to. They six. work hard. They're still oh, athletes. Geez, There's not many cases of six and six teams. How many can you even make for this year? Uh, Four? Five? But even still, seven, of the five, forty bowl games better. that we have, I mean, come on, it's too many. It's you fun. want to give your daughters all trophies too, don't you? No, I'm not for the participation trophies. <laughs> That's what these I, are. I want another opportunity to compete and play and see who wins. And maybe there's some people out there like, uh, you know, putting some wagers down and making well, that. Picks. That's the only reason. That's why I'm watching them. There you go. That. All right. So speaking of that, Marshall three point favorite versus South Florida. Who do you got? Uh, in the uh, the bad boy mowers Gasparilla goal. Where's that even played now? Is that down in uh Tampa? Home game for uh South Florida, I believe. South Florida. Florida. New Orleans. They're playing they're playing close to the, they're getting three points, so. 
I'll ride with that one as well. I'm having <laughs> an awful bowl cool. season. I'm two and five. I'm going with uh, South Florida as well. Let's go Bulls. Go get them. Go Charlie Strong. Yeah, let's do it. Thanks for listening to Canel and Bell. Download and subscribe to us anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the pod. And while you're at it, you might as well follow us on Twitter at Canel and Bell.